Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Ron Mehmet. He's the Senior Investment Analyst as part of the Lonsec Manager Research Team. Ron, welcome. Thank you. So I thought today we should really kick off this conversation, given your background in fixed interest. Let's have a look at the evolution of fixed income and cash portfolios, and then we'll start to go into some of the the specificity as a number of people are looking to try and insource these parts of their portfolio. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Let's kick off with the evolution of fixed income and, and cash. You've got some thoughts around the evolution of fixed income today and, and really what role does it play in people's portfolios? Yeah. With the cash and fixed income these days, traditionally people have looked at it from a point of view of stability, safety, security, and a regular income stream. And we've had that in recent times because of what's been happening with quantitative easing, which has basically squashed volatility in the marketplace. And so there's been a big emphasis on yield. And whenever people see a certain amount of yield availability out there, that's where the flow of funds have been going. Yes, we've had market ruptures as we had earlier this year, which caused a hell of a lot of volatility. And that was particularly evident on the credit side and a lot of variability depending on where you were in the capital structure between investment grade and sub-investment grade. But post that period now, this search for yield has become intense in the marketplace. And it's become particularly uh, difficult for people that are constructing defensive income portfolios for their clients because of what the RBA in Australia has said that uh, interest rates are going to stay quite low for a very long time. And that has been interpreted as the RBA cash rate staying at about a quarter of a percent. And also keeping the yield out to three years along the uh, interest rate yield curve also at a quarter of a percent and saying it'll stay there for a couple of years until the economy improves. And as a result, there's been a real struggle at the short end, which is mostly a floating rate compared to further out the yield curve, which is more of a fixed rate type uh, investments, monies and securities for people to try and eke out a higher yield and also get a regular amount of income going for uh, their clients. Now, What's exacerbated the situation also is some of the uh, facilities that the RBA has brought out, which allows uh, financial institutions to borrow quite a lot of money at a quarter of a percent and then pay that out to their clientele. Whereas before, when they were borrowing in the marketplace, depending on the credit rating of the financial institution, they could be paying half a percent, three quarters of a percent, depending on their credit rating. And so with that cheaper money that the institutions have got, that's actually helped push the 90-day bank bill rate down to as low as 0.11 of a percent, much, much lower than the RBA cash rate. Mm -hmm. And that, again, makes it even more difficult for people that are structuring fixed income portfolios for their clients, whether it's in cash, short duration, or uh, longer term, in portfolio construction terms. So quite difficult times to try and meet 
um, particularly for uh, advisors and their clients, their monthly private pensions and giving them a sustainable amount of income. Now, we've heard the stories also on the equity side with dividends cut with a number of companies because of what's happened in recent times, making it particularly difficult on that side. So it's been a real double whammy for people that are particularly retirees or people that require income support on the private side to get a decent amount of regular income coming through. Is it fair to say the challenge then for for these people is now to actually go down the capital structure and actually take on more risk? There is one element of that where people have gone down the capital structure to get that, but that is also cause for concern, particularly given how the real economy at the moment is on a life support system with a lot of government handouts. And at some stage when those ease back, there's going to be a lot more inherent risk going down the capital structure and a lot more variability in the pricing of those debt securities and what yield you're going to get further out in time as that occurs, those changes in the government support schemes. One of the things I've been advocating is going back up the capital structure to the top of the capital structure, which is more secure. And typically that is senior secured lending and where a lot of that lending, which has traditionally been done by the banks, has now been taken over by private equity and private debt firms where they're taking on board themselves lending directly out to companies and corporates out there rather than the traditional banks. And what's happening there is that they're offering better terms and conditions on loans, a lot of these private debt firms, than what the banks have offered in the past, been quite strenuous. And there's also a decent amount of yield up there. Now, if you're an investor at the top of the capital structure in some of this private debt and private credit, you'll go, hang on, but this this stuff appears more risky because it's not rated. But what happens is it goes, uh, again, like the analysts do on the equity side, in that it goes on the skill of these people to ensure that they're picking the right private debt loans and securities that are being issued at the top of the capital structure and that they've done the correct analysis and make sure that everything stacks up and the yield is quite favourable to investors. And also that if things do go wrong with those, you are secured because you actually have security over the assets from that company, for example. Whereas if you're down further in the capital structure, you're further behind other lenders if something goes wrong. Can I just go back to the the part about the government support schemes? And that's obviously come in and provide a lot of liquidity. It's also helped the prices of a lot of these assets. But one of the things that worries me is that there's this false sense of security that a lot of investors have that these government support will always be there. These lower interest rates will always be there. And thus we can effectively take on more risk because we know that we've got this backstop by the government, for example. Is that a fair analogy to, to what we're seeing at the moment? Yeah, it is because people become accustomed to easy money conditions and easy liquidity conditions out there and think that this becomes the norm. But at some stage, even the government and the governments at different levels say things at some stage are going to be returning to how they were in terms of normal uh, economics and normal financial dealings. And they're going to have to get rid of some of that liquidity over time allow it to disappear and go back to the central bank. And when that happens, you know, corporates and investors have got to stand on their own two feet. And what happens is instead of being awash with liquidity, we start to go back to fundamental analysis again. And when it's fundamental analysis, it's back to determining what's the correct yield 
on that debt security and what's the correct level of risk on there for that security and where should it be correctly priced? That will come back in. That also means that will increase the level of volatility because in the marketplace it will mean different people will have different ideas and analysis of where that pricing is for that security when things go back to some level of normality. Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, it is a little bit of easy going at the moment with uh, liquidity being a wash, but there will be increased risks in the future. Curious to get back to your thoughts around the security of, of the assets that you have with a lot of these loans. Uh, you talked about businesses, but is the other area that people maybe should be thinking about is is on the real estate side? Are, are there any potential opportunities that are coming there from a debt perspective where you've got a, a much larger asset that's there to support these loans as opposed to businesses which may not have as many physical assets available? Yeah, interesting you say that because a lot of these senior secured loans for companies is you know the plant, the equipment, and also the buildings and the property that they're situated on typical things that a bank would normally take security over when they're lending money. And yes, they will take uh, security over things like property. Where What does that mean for the property itself? Well, it ultimately, there's a valuation there. Ultimately, you know, it's able to be sold at some sort of price. So you do have your hands actually on the assets of that corporate being property and so forth, if something does go wrong as a lender. Now, As you said, what does it mean for property in general? It does mean that a lot more of that type of security is coming towards the private debt side and lesser so towards the banks. And if something does does go wrong, you just take over that security of the asset. It's an interesting space. And and the thing that, that comes to me is it's very you know, asset specific, business specific. It's a very highly resource heavy work looking at these individual loans to, to businesses or even to individual properties and so forth. And we've noticed that a number of the super funds are moving into this space and trying to insource this, this type of fixed income slash credit or private debt space. Curious to get your thoughts in the challenges that a super fund would have as they look at this type of investment. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because it's very labour intensive. And to give you an example, if a major uh, institution, say BHP or Westpac Bank, issues debt into the public market, uh, a senior debt of uh, corporate bonds, say, uh, five years, say, floating rate, because they already have a credit rating from the major credit agencies like Moody's, Standard & Poor's and Fitch, and because they're publicly listed companies and all the financials and information about those companies are available on the stock exchange, it's easy to make a decision for a credit team or corporate credit team in 24 hours whether they want to participate in the issuance of that new debt from, say, it's a BHP or, say, it's a Westpac because all the information is publicly available. So the decision's quite quickly, and what happens is the brokers come to market on behalf of one of these institutions. They're going to do a deal the next day. All the information's already out there. Almost everyone has that information on their database or can get readily available access to it, and they can make a quick decision whether they want to participate and also what price and what amount they want to participate. So it all happens in virtually 24, 48 hours. That's in complete contrast to what happens in the private debt market where you have little or no information. You know about the company, but if you want to know more, you've got to ask permission to have access to the financials. You've got to negotiate 
virtually a loan contract and what the clauses and covenants are in there and what triggers loan defaults and what expectations are of that company in meeting its regular payments. So all those types of information is quite labour intensive. You've got to hire lawyers. They've got to look at the contracts, all the clauses that are in the loan contract. There's argy-bargy and negotiation that happens between the person that's going to put the loan together and the company themselves. You've also got to meet for the first time the board of the company and the senior executive management, find out who they are in this private company or unlisted company. All that takes several weeks of analysis, interpretation, negotiations and meetings to occur before there's even a loan document finalised that both sides agree to all the clauses in it. And then the debt can be issued into the private debt market. Being labour intensive, there's a lot of more costs involved in that. And also the people that lend the money out have got to make their own estimation of how much of the loan they wish to participate in, what quality do they rate the loan and where do they want to price it at. So very labour intensive and takes a much longer time and therefore there's an expense involved in putting all that together. The other thing that comes to me is how do you actually get enough origination? Because if you're thinking about it from a portfolio construction perspective, you need to have quite a lot of different potential borrowers as part of your your portfolio to diversify. Now, if you don't have a good origination set, I'm not sure how that happens. Yeah, it's from an origination point of view, there's quite a lot of um, specialists out there that go about tapping into the investor side, which has to date been institutional. So they're knocking on doors of other financial institutions, they're knocking on doors of fund managers, private wealth entities, and just sourcing out people that may or may not be interested in these type of uh, deals to diversify their portfolios for their client base. There's been a lot more of these deals in recent times, and there's also been a lot more investor appetite. Uh, Traditionally, it's been at the institutional level, but now it's becoming more prominent down at the retail and wholesale level to get access to this type of loans and lending in order to diversify away from traditional type of cash fixed interest and fixed income that's more publicly traded. And also at times it offers a higher yield and you have security of assets. So it ends up being a pretty good diversifier with an existing portfolio. And as you think about that pool, is is there enough capacity in the Australian market for these private debt style deals? Yeah, in recent times, there hasn't been enough to go around. And a lot of the big institutions have gone to the United States and gone to Europe and accessed those senior debt type loans from those countries where there's a lot more of those assets available and the markets are much more liquid than what they are here. But our market has been growing because a number of the institutions have sort of been a bit more conservative in recent years. And so companies have had to go and look at other avenues and have gone to private equity and private debt firms and negotiated issuance privately of their debt facilities. And we've also seen listed on the ASX, a number of vehicles that are now got a lot of private debt and loan type investments in it. And also quite a number of established fund managers in Australia are now putting this type of asset into their existing portfolios for their unit holders and their clients. And so there's been increased supply, but 
yes, there is uh, more demand than supply at this stage. Mm-hmm. Just going to go back to one of the other issues you talked about in terms of the lawyers and the negotiating these contracts. One of the things you didn't talk about is what happens when these debts go bad or there is a particular problem, the company defaults or can't meet such a repayment and they start to negotiate ahead of time. How do you then go through that renegotiation if you're a super fund, for example? Yeah, what, what happens is they keep a pretty close eye on the cash flows and company financials. So it's not like on the equity side where you get your quarterly or half yearly or yearly income statements and balance sheets to see what's going on with a company. A lot that happens in this space is monthly as well as quarterly, and in some cases can be even weekly, keeping checks on financials and cash flows from the company, depending on what's being negotiated. So they keep a pretty close eye. And also because there's a number of loan covenants and and what they call balance sheet ratios in there, they keep a very close eye on companies that may be finding they're a bit stressed with uh, what's going on in current economic conditions. And so they more closely monitor those type of companies. And if at times there needs to be a renegotiation of some of the loan covenants and clauses to assist the company to get through tough periods, that also happens as well. In the event that the company is in a lot of difficulty and can't meet repayments, well, that's when uh, the tough negotiation starts on whether they're going to seize the assets or not. And traditionally, when you have senior secured debt and a company does fail to meet payments and they are in default of their loan covenants, historically, you usually get about 85 cents in the dollar back because you're at the top of the capital structure. And that is also a higher sense in the dollar than if you're in senior debt, lower debt, or even in, as you said, uh, sub-investment grade debt. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also the risk there that the super fund could end up having to take over these businesses if they own enough of the debt. Yeah. What what happens out there is there are other types of players in the, in the financial market space uh, called uh, distressed debt players that come into the marketplace and take a lot of that type of debt at a discount off the hands of, say, fund managers or other investors that hold it and help with working out what they call workouts with the existing company and try and get that company back on its feet again. Yes, some people do take on board the assets and try and do it themselves if they're a large enough fund manager and has the capacity and the specialist people to do that. But generally, they'll offload it to someone who's in that uh, distressed debt area and who then works alongside private equity and private debt to restructure the company. Mm -hmm. Let's move to another part of the the fixed income market that's been pretty hot for a while is the hybrid space. I, I know it hasn't got a lot of support from institutional investors, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on what the opportunity there, or is it still just too risky? With the hybrid market, it's been very popular. Retail and wholesale investors are not so much, as you said, in the institutional space. And that's partly because it's it's that level between junior debt and actual shares. So being hybrids, it's a bit it's a bit of both. You're getting a, a regular stream of income, but you're also getting equity type volatility. And that um, suits some type of investors out there who don't mind a bit of a higher volatility and a higher risk type of investment. Institutions have traditionally stayed away from hybrids, primarily because what they do is they're going into the high yield market, which is much more liquid, has larger issuance than the hybrid market. And so they can trade in and out more regularly than you can in the hybrid market. Hybrid markets are 
specifically for retail investors who want that extra yield, but know that there's um, extra risk as well. And so that's why it's been quite favourable in there. When you're putting together and constructing a portfolio, some uh, providers of uh, constructing portfolios out there do suggest a little bit of hybrids in the portfolio just to give a bit of yield enhancement, but that does come with a little bit more risk in the portfolio. And again, you've got to know which ones to select out there. Is the risk also that there is very low collateral backing backing a lot of these hybrids? Yeah, they've also changed in recent times. What used to happen was that pre the GFC, hybrids would become a, a debt instrument, a wholly and solely a debt instrument, and would be uh, worth a certain amount of cents in the dollar. Whereas now, a lot of the, and that's, I'm talking about financial institution type hybrids. Now, more recently, the the ones that have come out in recent years is that in the event that there's a problem or an issue at a financial institution, the regulator can come in and deem that those hybrids become equities, shares rather than remain as debt. So you end up, if there was a problem with a financial institution that issued a hybrid, you could end up that they become shares in that institution. So then you have an equity solution rather than a debt solution which causes problems for those people that are constructing a defensive portfolio of uh, fixed income assets when it becomes an equity and they've got to offload it to someone. But we haven't had that occur yet and that's ex- that's the extreme case. Mm-hmm. Let's um, look a little bit shorter on, on the curve and, and look at some of this short duration credit that we've been seeing. There's quite a lot of it that's been popping up. Likewise, there's a lot of active managers in this sector. I wanted to get your thoughts about how these guys will actually be able to generate alpha with such low cash rates, or can they? That's going to be really hard in the next couple of years, particularly when you've got the RBA cash rate, as I said before, at a quarter of a percent, and you've got the 90-day bank bill rate as low as 11 basis points. The other thing that's making it very difficult is the major financial institutions, given the current COVID-19 crisis, have the ability now to go to the RBA directly and borrow through their TFF facility at 25 basis points. Now, traditionally, they'll they'll, um, issue senior debt and junior debt into the public markets, and that could be issued at 75 basis points and 50 basis points, respectively. So these fund managers and institutions would put traditionally these securities into their portfolios and have a floating rate fixed income yield. That's a certain margin above the bank bill rate and the RBA cash rate and provide a higher yield for their clients. That's going to get really difficult now because the banks can uh, and major financial institutions can go, well, why should I go and re- roll over or reissue that senior and junior debt I've got in the marketplace, the floating rate debt, when I can just go straight to the RBA and borrow at 025 So the spreads or the credit spread difference um, in the marketplace, which might have been 50 basis points or 75 basis points above the bank bill, 90-day bank bill swap rate, has now come in dramatically because there's going to be a shortage of securities as the banks and major financial institutions don't have to issue as much debt as what they have in the past. And that makes it very difficult for them to meet their alpha targets in their public disclosure documents out there. And also, it affects the uh, traditional manager fee that they charge on a number of their funds. One of the things they've got to do now is trying to ensure that they're going to give a positive return that's at least above the 90-day bank bill and also charge their um, active fee. And now they're having to look around and 
find other types of securities and instruments to include in the portfolios that will give yield enhancement for their funds. That might see them put more RMBS or securitized pools of home loans or credit cards, asset-backed securities they might have to look at. They might also have to look at, um, as I said before, uh, floating rate senior secured debt. So they've got to look at other alternatives to try and keep up the yield in those uh, short duration floating rate funds to ensure that they're giving a good return that's still above the 90-day bank bill rate. I wanted to wrap up the conversation around where there is an opportunity to generate alpha. Fixed interest still seems to be one of those places where there are managers that can beat their benchmarks. I'm just curious in terms of where or what sectors of the market do you feel that there is still the opportunity for a good manager to to outperform? Is it the ABS, the RMBS space? Is it some of the senior loan space? Yeah, there is. If you look at the yields in the traditional places, and that's government bonds, blue chip companies, even state government, semi-government bonds, and even semi-government authorities, a lot of the yields are quite low or at historically record lows or near zero. And in some cases, if you go to Europe, yields are negative in absolute terms. And so people are looking elsewhere and in other segments of the fixed income market, as you say, and yeah, they are looking at uh, senior secured debt. They are looking at below investment grade corporate debt to eke out returns. They are looking in into aspects of securitized, whether it's credit cards or home loans. And the other area they've been looking at is emerging market debt. So going to countries that you would normally not think of and buying their securities, whether it's government or corporate as well. Now, a lot of in the past fund managers and fixed income specialists have traditionally invested in countries that are pretty well known, major emerging markets out there. It could have been in Latin America, it could have been in Asia, it could have been in Africa. So there's a lot more analysis now going on with uh, a lot of smaller countries out there and looking at the balance sheet or the balance of payments, balance of trade, looking at the fiscal situation of those countries and ascertaining whether they're a good investment, plus also looking at their ratings. And there's some good yields to be had there if you've picked the right stable countries with good fiscal positions. And the same goes well with blue chip companies. Looking at blue chip companies, again, in the emerging markets area that have got solid balance sheets, good cash flows, and are offering much higher yields than in the developed markets. That appears to be a fruitful area at this stage, given where developed market interest rates are at zero or negative around the place in some cases, to try and get some enhanced yield in portfolios. Are you looking then at local currency or is this be like in a US dollar loan? Traditionally, it's fund managers have only gone to US dollar loans. However, given the, the depreciation in the US dollar in recent years and what's happened is now people are actually looking at the local currencies as well and seeing if there's an ability to hedge or not. If the currency volatility isn't too bad, they can see if they can hedge out at not a great cost and still be able to get that extra yield from those countries. So yes, they are looking more closely at currency stability if a country has it and then still able to access those higher yields. All right, Ron, you've given uh, the listeners plenty of to think about. So thank you very much for your time today. That's all right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. 
All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.